Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to Carmelite Conversations. Uh, this uh, particular program, we're focusing again on St. Teresa of Avila, her teachings on the prayer of recollection. We're going to talk a little bit about her teaching on the Our Father this evening, and also an introduction into the prayer of quiet, the early stages of contemplation. Uh, with me again in the studio this week is Francis Harry, member of the Carmelite community here in Dayton, Ohio. Welcome, Francis. How are you? I'm great. I'm blessed, and I'm so happy to be here with you again. We also have a special treat with us in the studio this evening. We have Bill Corey. Bill is a member of the Cincinnati community, in uh, or Carmelite community. He's also one of my early teachers in uh, Carmel. Bill, welcome this evening. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. Well, I want to begin this evening just by talking quickly about uh, Teresa's, uh, one of her many famous statements, uh, this one about prayer, and she says that we must have a determined determination. In other words, our great saint is telling us that this engagement of prayer, our conversation with the Lord, requires effort on our part, and it seems the uh, authors of the modern catechism uh, wanted to echo that theme, and they say specifically, uh, citing a reference in 2725 from the Catechism, prayer is both a gift of grace and a determined response on our part. It always presupposes effort. The great figures of prayer of the Old Covenant before Christ, as well as the Mother of God, the saints, and Christ himself, all teach us prayer is a battle. So we hear this evening that prayer is a battle, and we're going to begin that call to battle, Bill, uh, with a prayer that uh, we've picked out from our Mother Teresa, and have uh, asked you if you wouldn't uh, cite that for us this evening, please. Could you lead us in prayer? Yes. Your will, Lord, be done in me in every way and manner that you, my Lord, want. If you want it to be done with trials, strengthen me and let them come. If with persecutions, illnesses, dishonors, and the lack of life's necessities, here I am. I will not turn away, my Father, nor is it right that I turn my back on you. Since your Son gave you this will of mine in the name of all, there's no reason for any lack on my part. But grant me the favor of your kingdom that I may do your will. Since he asked for this kingdom for me, and use me as you would your own possession, in conformity with your will. Amen. 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 Thank you, Bill. I appreciate your leading us in that prayer this evening. We shouldn't minimize, uh, for our listeners' benefit, the importance of our need to uh, take on a warrior's mentality when we talk about engaging in prayer. I would ask everyone uh, to think back for a moment over this last, most holy week of our year, uh, how effective we were, each of us, uh, at engaging in this battle of prayer. Uh, for myself, I was traveling this past week, and we made uh, an effort, both my wife, myself, and my children. But I have to confess, Francis, there are times, uh, both this past week and prior to that, uh, that I haven't engaged the battle as often as I should have. Isn't it a struggle for all of us to engage in this? Well, I think the busyness of our lives sometimes is part of our battle, trying to find that solitude and silence. Um, and we also have that battle with, you know, aridity and distraction and uh, dryness and, you know, just our attitude of what prayer is. I mean, 
some of us don't even really quite get a handle on what prayer is. Some people think by just saying the words, that's that's the prayer, but that's not developing the relationship. And others think it's just a, a, a psychological activity where you're trying to empty the mind, you know, to come to come some uh, mental nirvana uh, feeling. And, you know, that's not prayer. And it's it's not just a ritual. It's not just a posture. It's... it's um, conversation, intimate conversation. I bet you can comment on that, right, Bill? Okay, well, um, the effort that's involved in prayer must be most strenuous, particularly when one is beginning prayer. It also requires effort sometimes just to become recollected so that we can pray. And there are certain techniques that can be used. We'll get into that later in the, in the program. It's important, Teresa, of course, we're going to go through her teaching this evening on the Our Father. Uh, Teresa counsels her nuns, both in writing and and, uh, we can well imagine in her counsel with them, uh, that deep, intimate, slow, uh, reflective prayer, even of the Our Father, as simple a prayer as it is, it is remarkably profound, it is full of wisdom. She's going to teach us in the, uh, the, the conversation this evening just how much we can get out of uh, a simple recitation of the Our Father if it's done deeply uh, and, and with thought and recollecting the mind. But there's some preliminary steps she wants us to think about, aren't there? Uh, first of all, she wants us in practicing recollection uh, to detach ourselves somewhat from uh, our environment, from concerns about our body. We talked about this, uh, Francis, a few weeks ago when we began the discussion of recollection. But, Bill, our mother, Teresa, is telling us we must bring the whole person to prayer, and recollection begins by bringing our faculties under submission, if you will, to enter into Mm -hmm. recollection. Yes. Uh, My own uh, efforts at recollection uh, begin with getting up early before anyone else so that I have that solitude that is necessary for prayer. And I sit quietly and just close my eyes and put everything out of my mind. Now, usually early in the morning, there isn't the hustle and bustle of the day that's pressing in on me. Yeah, like so at in the evening when you're thinking of all the things that oh, you've done and what you've got to do tomorrow and... Yeah. Right. And then, then I begin with verbal prayer. And when, when St. Teresa talks about prayer, she's usually referring to uh, discursive meditation, which, as she says, requires the most effort of any kind of prayer. And uh, that can be done with verbal prayer, oral prayer, uh, formula prayer. I remember hearing a bishop of uh, Knoxville in Tennessee at a mass talk about St. Teresa of Avila, and he said, all you have to do is say the Our Father, but take an hour to say it. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's because you're praying it with all that attentiveness and awareness of his presence with you. Indeed. And uh, as we as we discuss that, I think people will come to realize how much is in that prayer, 
the perfect prayer. Yeah, she refers to it as the perfect prayer. Uh, again, she has some preliminary steps she wants us to take. I want to uh, take a, uh, a moment to have us reflect on a Bible verse that I think is very pertinent for our discussion as regards to focusing and bringing ourselves into this state of recollection from Luke 10.42. But only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the better part, which shall not be taken away from her. Of course, this is the discourse when Christ is talking to uh, Mary, who's sitting at his feet, listening intently uh, at every word, and uh, her, her sister's running about very busy with the things of the world. Uh, we know that we have to combine both, and we in Carmel's, most especially the secular Carmelites, are called to combine both our contemplative prayer, that experience of intimacy with the Lord, with our responsibilities in the world. We simply have uh, uh, the reality of our responsibilities, either as parents or as workers or teachers, whatever our particular vocation may be, in addition to our prayer life, the calling Carmel is to combine those in an effective way. And the simplicity and the profound wisdom of the Our Father gives us a great example on how to do that. Well, let's take this practice uh, of the Our Father and get into it just a little bit. I do want to talk about the importance of desire. Teresa talks about the importance of desire in prayer, a movement towards something. We talk often, Francis, about uh, St. John's teaching on negation, and and, uh, you mentioned even a moment ago the emptying. But we know the emptying is not so much a, a effort to simply dispense with everything. It's an active effort to create that desire and that intimacy. Prayer is movement towards something. It is never movement away from something, is it? Right, because when we are trying to empty, it's so that he can fill us. That's the whole point. It's getting things in proper alignment, and St. Teresa tells us, Bill, uh, prayer is a silencing of the faculties, absolutely, but it's also an enclosure within the soul of those faculties of, of uh, affection and desire, bringing our love into that experience, into that intimacy in a one-on-one conversation with the Lord. Isn't that the challenge in entering into this experience before we begin the prayer of the Our Father? I, I think very much that it, that it is. Uh, this enclosure of the faculties, mind and will to internally to to focus on what is within us and what is within us the temple of the holy spirit the the dwelling place of the father and the son and the holy spirit uh and to to focus on that and to grow in love for god that is within us that is so important because if we're praying and we're not growing in love then something's wrong isn't it I think so. Yeah, It's a good measure for us. It's a good measure as to whether or not... Uh, there'll be other measures that she'll talk about. For example, when we uh, engage in some form of ministry or evangelization or uh, we attempt to practice the virtues, inevitably we're going to be challenged in that experience. And Mother tells us, St. Teresa tells us, um, that our measure in reacting to that gives us some indication as to whether those experiences in prayer are in fact helping us to grow. I, I want to focus on one quick analogy that I thought was very good uh, on this idea of recollection. Somebody characterized it as trying to uh, thread the spiritual needle. Mm-hmm. In other words, imagine yourself, uh, uh, you know, those of us who've gotten a little bit older in life find this more challenging. 
uh, trying to thread a needle. And, and what do you have to do to thread that spiritual needle? You have to you know, stop your shaking hands and focus your eyesight and get the thread in just the right place, and you're trying to go right through the heart of the needle. This is somewhat the idea, the uh, uh, analogy to the spiritual idea of recollection. We're trying to bring all of our senses into alignment, focus on the task at hand, bring our thought patterns, our emotions, our, as I said before, the physical reaction that may be going on in our body, whether it's discomfort or actual pain, bring all those into alignment so that we can thread the spiritual needle and focus in recollection as we begin our prayer session. Well, and we remember also when Teresa is referring to this prayer of recollection, she's talking about that turtle withdrawing the head and the arms and the legs inward and and being totally aware uh, of, you know, existing there. And now we are going to be keeping our eyes on Christ, of course. Uh, and then there was also the analogy of the the big room of the palace with all the treasures inside, all the gold and jewels and you know, then you're looking at the throne and, and Jesus, you know, on the throne of our heart within us, you know, and just, you know, using that to go into his presence within. And it's so satisfying once you have that thread through the eye of the needle, once you have said that prayer that you know has brought you closer to God. And I want to speak about that experience, but I want to first emphasize this, and Bill, I'd like you to respond to this. St. Teresa tells us this idea of recollection, this is not a supernatural event. This is something we can create, we can dispose ourselves to. It is our responsibility to dispose ourselves to. But this is not, we ought not, and I encourage our listeners uh, not to be fearful that this is only a supernatural experience, that they aren't responsible in some way for disposing themselves to it recollection is our responsibility. That's where we bring ourselves to the throne, as you say, Francis, and make ourselves available to God. Yes, and uh, I think detachment comes into this to uh, abet recollection. But the more we become detached from external things in order to possess more the Creator, we find it easier to become recollected. So detachment is key to recollection. And it's detachment on multiple levels. We talked about detachment, Francis, the last time we got together. We won't spend a lot of time on that, but you're right. It's a whole series of uh, efforts at detachment. We discussed the material, uh, the withdrawing from the Internet and the TV and the radio and all of those distractions Mm. that impede our detachment. But there's also the thought patterns. There's also the concerns, anxiety, she says early on in this text. Uh, dispense with your anxieties. If you're sitting worrying about your economic situation, it will be very hard to become recollected. But I want to go back to something you said, because I think our listeners need to hear this. And this is that idea that once you enter into this space, and you may not have done this yet, listener, or you may have only done it momentarily, or you may be Uh, one of those blessed individuals who's experienced long moments of quiet prayer, this intimacy, this almost uh, coming out of ourselves, as uh, Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity teaches, uh, and experiencing the presence of God. That's a real event, Bill, isn't it? And it's something significant in the life of prayer. Absolutely. Uh, I think the person I learned from... uh, in, in terms of prayer and approaching 
contemplative prayer closer and closer was a, a farmer who stopped in at the Curiovars church every day on the way home from work. And he sat in the back of the church, and the cure noticed this and asked him, what do you say? He said, nothing. He said, nothing. No, nothing. What do you do? He said, I look at him. He looks at me. And that was prayer, pure prayer. Well, there's such a loving embrace there. And it's, it's so, so many of us get caught up into the words and this intellectual exercise that we totally miss the love, that gaze of love that, that the farmer had. It is simplicity in, in so many ways. It's simplifying. And again, let's get into the Our Father because uh, St. Teresa tells us, she told her nuns, you can reach the highest levels of contemplation through nothing more than prayerful recitation of the Our Father. In fact, she herself cited the Our Father many times throughout the course of the day. It was a very important prayer to her, if we know how to enter into it. So let's enter into it here this evening. What is the significance, first of all, Bill, of the Our Father? She goes into great length in describing this relationship, we as children of the Father. What's the importance for her in the prayer of the Our Father by starting with identification of God as our Father? The very first word, our, and not my. Jesus referred to God the Father as my Father and taught us to refer to God the Father as our Father. And he had a very good reason for doing that, because in praying our Father, we're praying on behalf of everyone. Who is the our? It is our neighbor, uh, every one of our neighbors. And so without realizing it, perhaps, we are doing what Jesus wanted us to do, to pray for ourselves, but also for everyone. Yeah, and she goes uh, into a little bit the issue that would have been pertinent in her day, this issue of lineage and people focusing on their family and titles and history and legacy and so forth, and she dispenses with much of that. Um, says, in fact, that we have minimized our real lineage if we do focus on that. Our lineage is that God is our Father. We ought not to be so focused on the history of our family or our family name. But she also emphasizes this idea, as you did a moment ago, Bill, of the nearness of God. Uh, Teresa goes at, at great length in her uh, autobiography, The Life, talking about the dwelling uh, of the Trinity and the indwelling of the Trinity, the fact that uh, she learned this actually uh, early on in her prayer life, that God and the Trinity actually dwell within us, something I think, uh, as we've discussed on this program before, um, that we've lost a sense of uh, in many cases in our prayer life. But she emphasizes, Francis, this idea that God is not distant. He's not in a, in a distant uh, heaven or in a distant future. He's here. He's now. He, in fact, dwells within us as close as our own breath. Can you be any closer to us than that? <laughs> no, you, you nailed it on the head on that one. And I just love it because when those first two words, our Father, that means that we're the sons and daughters. And, you know, we're also heirs then to all this great heritage, all these uh, this great inheritance of heaven. So by saying our Father... Uh, and who could who could think of a better father? This is a father that has to be helping these poor children. Uh, you know, Lord, help us, uh, because we are so weak. And when we turn to him, prodigal children that we are, he will come in and he will help us. 
and you know he has our best interest at heart. I I remember when one of the priests, uh, Father Ralph Elias Haddix, a, a Carmelite priest up in um, uh, Milwaukee, had told me, uh, had told our retreat, God has your best interest at heart. And so then I reflected on Father and having my best interest at heart, and you know, yes, that's so true. And then I can pray in better faith because I know how deeply he loves me because I'm not just his subject. I'm not just his creation. I'm his daughter, you know. And, you know, that just really um, gives such dignity to the soul. Catherine Estani used to put this very well. She, she has this in uh, her, her dialogue that starting the Our Father in the way that we do it's a great idea because it sort of sets the table in the, <laughs> in the right way. Let's get our let's get our mindset in the right order. I'm using a little bit of the uh, the modern vernacular here, but really she's honest in saying, let's get the table set properly. He's the father; we are the child. Let's get things in order here. Well, yeah, and like Teresa tells us, know who you're talking to and know who you are in relation to who you're talking to. That yeah. is very important. It's an important beginning, exactly. And, and there's a lesson in there for all fathers. Yes. You know? In, in, in that prayer, uh, and the the fatherhood that Jesus speaks about, he exemplified with the parable of the prodigal son and the forgiving father. Uh, just a beautiful par- uh, parable where the father, it says he saw his son from a distance when he was still a long way off. And what does that mean? He was always looking for him yeah. to come back. Yeah. Always has his eyes on us. Well, just before we go to the break, I, I want to deal with the uh, second verse and the first series of petitions in the Our Father. Uh, and let me just quote those. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. We hear in these phrases, Bill, a continuation of the expression of the desire on the part of the person in prayer to live in God's will. This is so important in our experience of God. And I want to just read a couple of quick quotes uh, that our our Mother Teresa, St. Teresa, uh, gives to us with regard to the importance uh, of our seeking and desiring our Father's will. And here's why. She's asking, we're asking in this prayer, to bring the kingdom to us, and one no longer then takes account of these earthly concerns calmness and the glory within that we just talked about begin to be experienced. Joy, in fact, perpetual peace, wonder, satisfaction at all around us. These are the consequences of beginning to call the kingdom into our individual experience in prayer. How important is that to the expression of our desire for a relationship? And hallowed be thy name. It, it, subjunctive mood, it expresses the desire, expresses the wish that the Father's name be held as sacred by everyone, everywhere, and always. And that's what we're saying when we, when we say that. That's our wish. We're expressing that to God. And, and Christ told us to. As I listen to you speak, it reminds me of two years ago when I listened to you speak uh, through this, teaching this, um, and, and the Again, the profound wisdom embedded in these words. And we say them very often if we pray the rosary, pray at church. We say these words so often. We're being asked to enter into these words in a much deeper way. 
When we come back from the break, listeners, we're going to continue to enter into the Our Father, and we're going to get Bill to explain in even greater detail this idea of the kingdom coming, because St. Teresa tells us we don't have to wait for this. It's already within us, as Francis reiterated, and our ability to enter into the kingdom of heaven today is very real in our experience with prayer. We'll be back in just a moment. listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home, in Louisiana on 580 AM KJMJ in Alexandria, 1360 AM KNIR in New Iberia, 89.7 FM KBIO in Natchitoches, 
91.1 FM KOJO in Lake Charles, in Mississippi on 88.1 FM WOLM in Diverville, in Ohio at 1600 AM WULM in Springfield, 88.7 FM WHJM in Anna, in Pennsylvania on 88.1 FM WHHN in Hollidaysburg, in Texas on 1250 AM KDEI in Port Arthur, in Wisconsin at 91.3 WRMW in Peshtigo, and on the World Wide Web at www.radiomaria.us. Now return to Carmelite Conversations with Mark Danis. Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations. Our guest this evening is Bill Corey. Bill is the uh, recently announced Bill, a president of the secular community in Cincinnati, of the secular community of the Carmelites in Cincinnati. Uh, congratulations on that, by the way. Well, thank you. You know, one of the things we didn't cover, Bill, and I want to just take a moment, if I may, uh, to give you an opportunity to share a little bit about your background. I said, and, and, uh, uh, have a uh, great appreciation for the wisdom that you shared in my early years in Carmel, but I think people should have an appreciation for your background and experience and depth in, in Carmelite spirituality. Tell us a little bit about your uh, your experience in Carmel. Well, I got interested in Carmel from a co-worker in Cincinnati who was a Carmelite. He's now a deacon, uh, and he, he uh, I, I just simply asked him, what, when I knew he was a Carmelite, what's involved in, in being a Carmelite? What do you do? And he said, well, we, we pray the office, morning prayer and evening prayer. We wear a scapula, that's our habit. We uh, attend Mass each day, if it's possible, and meditate for a half hour a day, uh, and he went through a little list of things. And I said, oh, well, I wear the scapula, and I pray the office, and I go to Mass every day. What's to stop me from being a Kamala? <laughs> and Apparently he said, nothing. come to a meeting and find out. I said, where are they? And they happened to be in St. Teresa of Avila Church mm-hmm. in Price Hill, Cincinnati, very appropriate. And so I did, and it was walking into a a new and very beautiful vocation. Yeah, I, I have a similar experience I won't relate this evening. We've talked about tidbits of it. Frances has shared a little bit of her history. We should, in the interest of full disclosure, admit that we are actually, the Dayton community is an outgrowth of the Cincinnati community uh, of Carmel, the secular order of Carmel. Uh, our numbers, as I recall, became so large in Cincinnati, Bill, we couldn't find enough seating down there in the room we were in to keep everybody, and there were a number of us from the uh, Dayton area. So uh, with the leadership of Francis and, and the Holy Spirit, uh, we uh, broke off, if you will, and established a community here in Dayton, which has grown uh, to similar numbers, in fact, of those that we left in Cincinnati. So it's been a wonderful experience. The uh, Spirit is certainly moving in the secular order of Carmel, and I think it's blessed many lives, certainly my own, and, and I know each of the, the two of you. I want to pick up on our conversation however, on the Our Father and the importance of using the Our Father, as simple and common a prayer as it is to all of us, as a means of, as St. Teresa tells us, entering into contemplation, entering into this intimate conversation with the Lord. Let's go to the next verse, and let me just quote it. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, when I read this, Bill, I think of the idea of total abandonment. 
the idea that we are abandoning our wills to God. And I'm going to turn this to Frances for a second and put her on the spot because she and I were sitting in a coffee shop one day, and I asked her, I said, Frances, what do you think is the single most important thing that we as Carmelites can do to increase our spirituality, our holiness, deepen our relationship with the Lord? And as a Carmelite, I have to say, I fully expected her to say, oh, just spend more time in prayer, which at the time would have been my conclusion. Frances didn't answer that way, and I'm going to remind her so I don't put her too much on the spot. But what she said was something my wife actually says to me most every day, simply accept everything that comes into your life every day as the will of God, embrace it with love, turn it into love if it isn't, and move on. Oh, I had a good was... moment there, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Lord. <laughs> it was a profound answer. It stayed with me to the point where I continue to cite it, and I, and I appreciate you, and thank you for that. Elaborate on it, though. That's the putting on the spot. Okay, well, it is that. Thy will be done. What does that mean? And I have pondered that um, many a time because I I knew that, you know, we had the Ten Commandments, and we're supposed to obey them and, you know, love God and love others as God loves them. And so those are big challenges, and yet I, I still couldn't quite get it. So then one of my prayers became, oh, Lord, help me get it. And I have to confess, I still pray, Lord, help me to get it. And so what I began to understand that is uh, what would happen is, like, if I was working on something and somebody came and interrupted me, that was God's will. He was speaking to me to, you know, give this person some attention because they had a need, and they were coming to me for, you know, uh you know, some information I had, or, you know, uh, an object, or whatever. Or if um, suddenly I wake up and I'm sick, well, then it's God's will for me to to have that sickness and to deal with that sickness, to offer it up uh, in union with the passion of our Lord. And so I began, because of the effects of our little Therese, the little flower, I began to see how these little moments are opportunities for us to deny our own will and to do God's will. So then I began to really concentrate on what was happening in each moment. And and I remember Therese saying that she had remembered God every three minutes. And I'm like, oh, that's outstanding. You know, how did she do that? And I'm sure it was a great grace, but at the same time, she worked at it. And, you know, if we do take some time and we just say, in this ten minutes, Lord, I'm just going to, you know, take this ten minutes and I'm going to give this ten minutes to you and I'm going to pray in this 10 minutes, or if I get a phone call in this 10 minutes, I'm going to answer that phone, or, you know, somebody comes and interrupts and and wants something, I'm going to see this as your hand, Lord. And then I just grew from that, and so now I'm I'm embracing that much better. I still have a long ways to go. Well, it it is a question of practice, isn't it? It's not something, you know, so many people, I think, can easily become discouraged. They might read of the victory found in prayer and the overcoming of obstacles and and, and the peace and the joy, and, and they want that. We all want that. We all we, we absolutely want that in our lives. We all desire uh, that that state of being of intimacy with God. But we ought not to believe that it doesn't come with some effort on our part. Our, our uh, Mother Teresa has has told us this, uh, and that it doesn't come without obstacles and without trials. And before I, I, I move, Bill, to a comment or a question I, I have for you, I want to just quote, uh, Francis, uh, what I think validates exactly what you said, because uh, St. Teresa says it this way, Pray this peace of the Our Father with deep sincerity, she says, Thy will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven. And she goes on to say this, everything I have advised you about in this book, this book that we're reading, Way of Perfection, is directed toward the complete gift of ourselves to the Creator. Unless we give our wills entirely to the Lord, we will never be allowed to drink from the fount of life. That is a profound statement. I think we have to take very seriously from someone who spent hours in prayer and, by her own admission, failed uh, a number of times in her efforts and only later in life really came to the deep intimacy that she was seeking. And, Bill, I think she's placed remarkable emphasis on this idea of abandoning our will in order to find heaven in the fount of life. Yes, there's an antiphon in the uh, Liturgy of the Hours that begins the Office of Readings. I think it's Tuesday of the second week in the rotation. that says, Surrender to God, and He will do everything for you. And I remember starting to read the Office of Readings, and I had about 30 minutes, maybe a little bit more, before Mass began, I never got beyond those words. Mm-hmm. I, know, I, I was just so struck with them. Surrender to God, and He will do everything for you. And it's surrendering means making oneself a complete gift to the Creator. Yeah, and for our listeners, if you want an idea of what this intimate prayer experience is like, I think it's the one you just described, Bill. When you can be reading something, and it may be your intent to read an entire page or a series of psalms or what have you, and you're caught by a short verse, a phrase, and you can't get off that verse. It hits your mind like a bolt of light, and you say, I could sit and think about this for the entire amount of time, be it 15, 30, an hour, uh, 15, 30 minutes or an hour, uh, because I'm so struck by that phrase, that is experiencing that intimacy of prayer. That is when you know you've entered in, and God's speaking to you. It's it's what it's like. You said earlier, uh, what a wonderful thing. That's one of those experiences, I think, that we can, we can uh, validate, if you will. We've entered into prayer when God can hit us with that, that short phrase. And when we think about, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, if we think of heaven and everybody's so loving and nothing goes wrong and everything is right, um, and to be thinking about that here on earth, um, it seems impossible, except that we know Jesus prayed it. And if he prayed it, then it has to be possible. So how is it possible? Well, I think that it is possible when people enter into this great prayer and God gifts them with this uh contemplative prayer, that they experience this heaven on earth. And that's how it is. And and it just we just got to mushroom that out so that everybody gets in on it, not just a few souls. Yeah, it comes in moments, it comes in insights, it comes in peace, it comes in light. Um, it doesn't, uh, the, the great saints tell us, even Teresa tells us, it never lasted, you know, the, the experience of it didn't last often more than 30 minutes. That would be unusual. In fact, uh, but it does come, doesn't it, Bill? I'm reminded of a of a speaker. I may have shared this before, but it stayed with me like uh, so many of these little snippets. Uh, Father Larkin, Phil Larkin, who uh, is a Carmelite priest, former Carmelite priest, he's since passed away. And I remember going to one of the conferences in um, in uh, Indiana, uh, and his uh, speaking. He was in his early 80s at that time, and he, uh, you know, waddled up to the mic with his cane, and uh, we were told this was a you know, a very profound speaker had been 
a Carmelite his whole life, had written a number of books, had been a retreat director and so forth, and you're sitting on the edge of your seat waiting for what he has to say, and he leans into the mic with a cracked old voice, said, If you pray, God will come. If you do not pray, God will not come. And he leaned back, and he grabbed his cane, and he walked back to his seat and sat down. And there was total silence in the room. Now, I should also share with you that it was only months after that that Father Larkin passed away. So you can put, I think, great stock in the insight of a man who may well have known his own condition, uh, but aside from that, was drawing on 80-plus years of experience in teaching, writing, and most especially in praying. The reality is when we pray and we turn to our Father, we have an opportunity to enter into his kingdom, which, as you've said, Bill, is within us. I want to go on to the next verse. I don't want to miss any of the opportunity to to finish up with the prayer here. Uh, You said a moment ago, Francis, the importance of knowing who we're praying to in this next verse. Give us this day our daily bread. I want to quote a quick Bible verse, which for me um, takes this in a somewhat different direction, but this is Teresa's take on it as well. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And Teresa teaches us that in this verse, the Lord is saying, Our daily bread is the will of our Father. Isn't that what we feed on every day, Bill? The will of our Father? It should be. It should should be. be. Good answer. This, uh, I have to mention, too, that... um, one's attitude toward the cross when it, it's, it's something that we just have to learn to be very thankful for because there's another antiphon that says see how the cross of our Lord stands revealed as the tree of life and so we as Francis was saying earlier whatever comes into your life even if it is a cross Be grateful for it. Be thankful. Because through that cross, we have salvation. Without it, we don't. Yeah, And it's every moment, isn't it, Francis, as you said so eloquently, it's every moment that comes into us. If we get up and we begin our day with as simple a prayer as the Our Father, and we take a moment to reflect on this verse, give us this day our daily bread. And as our Lord tells us, His daily bread was to do the will of His Father, Our daily bread is to accept everything that comes to us as the will of the Father. And then we can know with surety what's happening to us and the way that we ought to be responding to it is putting us in the Father's will. Yes, and I think Teresa also put this on uh, uh, another level, which most people probably can relate to, and that is trusting that the Father was going to take care of their needs, whether that was for food or shelter or friendship or um, these deeper spiritual needs that we have. Uh, so this daily bread, it, it is all that we need. And the Father, being the Father, the the most perfect Father, will give us what we need. And I think sometimes it's important for us to voice these petitions, these desires, so that we know what we're asking for, and yet trusting that He knows what is best. And so if that prayer is not answered, knowing that, you know, well, the Father knows best. <laughs> you know, just like the old TV show, Father Knows Best. Well, you know, there's a um, another verse I want to use here, and this is uh, 
uh, an interpretation, frankly, uh, that, that has struck me many times. It's the story of the young rich man who approaches Christ and, and says, uh, you know, the litany of, I've done all these things, uh, mm-hmm. Master, that, you, that you're teaching about. I've done all these things since I was a young man. And Christ looks at him and says, sell all you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And what struck me about that verse, when I read it in the context of Teresa's teaching here, is the only thing we really have at the end of the day, the only thing that can never be taken away from us is our will. This is the gift from the Father. We have our will. We're always in control of our will, regardless of the circumstances we may find ourselves in or the difficulties we may be placed in by the world. We always retain our will. We may lose our material possessions, our titles, our our uh, family members, our relationships, we can lose everything. But we can never lose our will. That can never be taken. Christ is saying, the one thing that can never be taken from you, give that to me. Give that to me, and you will have the kingdom. That's the challenge that's in this verse, isn't it? He's asking us to give him everything that we own. The only thing we really own is our will, but it's everything. Well, then, of course, also, when we relate that to the Eucharist, the daily bread, of course, the Eucharist and the Mass, and as we receive the body of Christ, we pray that, you know, he consumes us and we become participants in that body of Christ, that he, he becomes uh, us, or actually we become in him, is the way it should be. Right. <laughs> well, I think it was Augustine that said, every food that we eat becomes us, except the Eucharist. We become the food. Right. Oh, very good. It's it's a uh, certainly a uh, argument in favor one of, of our daily attendance at mass, which we in Carmel are called to anyway, uh, because it does strengthen us in our ability to uh, comply to follow the Father's will by giving Him our will. It also calls us, I think, to a deeper appreciation for Eucharistic adoration. Uh, again, something I, I would like to see more of uh, in the parishes across the country. I know there are many movements. Uh, advocating Eucharistic adoration. Certainly John Paul II uh, was a big proponent of it. The, the, uh, Pope Benedict, the, the current Holy Father, is also uh, a very strong advocate of adoration. We need to spend time with the Lord and the intimacy, the silence, the simplicity of entering into the Eucharistic chapel and adoring our Lord uh, in a one-to-one relationship, I think, uh, cannot be dispensed with if we want to grow in holiness. And I remember somebody told me about Eucharistic adoration, how, you know, if we go outside into the sun, we can feel the rays of the sun upon us, and we get that suntan, and, you know, we like all that. Well, in this way, in the Eucharist, those rays are coming at us, whether we can see them or not, and they are changing us. And as our faith grows, we will be able to see the evidence of that ray of of God's love changing us. And so we go there in great faith knowing just as the sun shines, so does the sun, S-O-N, shine on us and in us and hopefully through us. Teresa says that we are praying soul to soul when we're in that intimate relationship with the Lord. We may not see the transaction going on all the time, but, you know, it's much like what we do see in the material world. If we put a, a, a song on, a CD on, and we play that song over and over and over again, and we enjoy the song. This is something we may have great uh, affection for. We enjoy the song. We want it ingrained in our heart and our mind. For some, it may be a country song or maybe a classical piece of music, what have you. The experience is the same. It becomes ingrained in our mind. We can hear that song. It almost beats. Our heart almost beats with the rhythm of that song. 
It's exactly the same thing when we enter into this relationship in Eucharistic adoration or in the reception of communion or prayer. Our soul beats the spirit of the Lord's soul, and we are changed by that. We get into rhythm with the Lord, and there's a consistency to our spiritual rhythm as we expose ourselves more and more to the Eucharistic Christ. Let me remind our listeners that you're listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. And again, uh, we invite you to give us a call at 1-866-333-6279. Now, I'm going to just uh, quickly, Francis, uh, I won't call out her name, but I'll, I'll say that uh, you've provided me feedback. One of our listeners said, uh, well, gee, I'd love to call, but I don't want to interrupt the conversation because it seems to be going uh, just fine without my involvement. And I will say to every one of our listeners, uh, we would value very much your, uh, certainly your questions, your comments, your observations, your participation in the conversation. Please feel free to call us at one eight six six three 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 six two seven nine. Well, let's move on. I don't want to, as I say, I don't want to miss any of the verses of the Our Father. Uh, they all have great depth within them. Uh, so let's move on to the next one. Uh, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Here again, we say this phrase every day that we pray the Our Father, but there's a great challenge in this, Bill. Uh, St. Teresa tells us it is not through the practice of penance or prayer or fasting that we are called to our salvation but it is, in fact, through our forgiving other people. We are to model our Savior in his having taken on our sins and forgiving us. We are to model that very behavior in our relationships. Uh, I'll just relate a quick story, and then I'd like you to reflect back on this. We uh, So often we hear about uh, people who transition from this life to the next. And what is that moment like? What must that be like? And who in that moment of witnessing uh, sort of the reality of uh, of the universe and the history of uh, the economy of salvation, if you will, could in any way choose not to choose Christ as their Savior. Well, I think the unfortunate reality is it's not that we fail to choose Christ, it's that we fail to live up to his call to forgive. And we go through that transition to the other side with something in our heart and in our mind that we're simply not willing to give up. It's something we want to hold on to. And it's a lack of forgiveness, so challenging for us in our modern society. We see it rampant in the Middle East today and in so many parts even of our own country, our unwillingness to forgive. How important is this part of the prayer for us, Bill? Not long ago, I had the uh, privilege of uh, attending a retreat that was given by a priest up in the Scranton Diocese and also by a the survivor of the Rwandan genocide, uh, Imakole Ilibagisi. And the, the genocide took place in the early 90s, where 800,000 tribesmen were slaughtered, including Imakole's family. She hid in a bathroom of a pastor's house with some other women, and all she did was say the rose. But in saying the rosary, you say the Our Father. And she could not bring herself to say, as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
she left that those words out when she said the rosary. She, her whole family was, had been wiped out. And one can understand the emotion and the feeling. But as she kept saying the rosary every day, and they were in there for 90 days, she was thinking, this prayer is not, was not taught to us by a priest or, or a pope or, or even a saint. It was taught to us by God. And what am I doing leaving this out? Mm-hmm. And she was really torn. But she was also saying the Hail Mary, asking Mary, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. And of course, Mary was. And after 30 days, she steeled herself to include those words as we forgive those who trespass against us. What a great witness. I know that story well, and I, I, uh, am, I marvel every time I read about it. My wife is actually the one who introduced me to it. Um, and, and we think about it. I know there are people out there, our listeners, who have struggled, who've gone through trials, who've been hurt uh, genuinely by, uh, by relations or maybe by uh, somebody who's uh, taken um, uh, you know, the role of the enemy, if you will, in their life. And, and we all have these hurts and these pains, but can we imagine the depth of, of anger, of hurt, of pain uh, that the peer, uh, people in that experience must have gone through? and yet her ability to move through that pain in love. It's a remarkable witness. I, I, I want to move to the last uh, verse that we're going to cover, uh, and we won't get through the, the, the final verse, but I do want to make sure we touch on this point. Uh, this leads so many people into questions when, when uh, praying the Our Father, and I want to focus for a moment on the uh, verse, lead us not into temptation. Forgive us as we forgive those, but lead us not into temptation. And people have asked me so often, what does that mean? Does God lead us into temptation? And of course we know, Francis, this is not God leading us into temptation. This is the great temptation of those who pray, of those who practice virtue, of those who seek to uh, pursue holiness. It's the temptation to fall victim to comfort in our holiness, to begin to experience virtue, to begin to realize that we are growing in our holiness, and then either uh, to fall victim to the comfort of that or to seek consolation in that. And the Lord always has to remind us, don't be tempted into that. And to do that, he's going to have us fail occasionally in those things we think we've overcome. He'll challenge us that way, won't he? Oh, absolutely. That's a very good point because, um, you know, those graces and favors or consolations, good feelings, uh, the virtues that we have, they can be taken away in a minute. I mean, they're gifts. And, you know, like Teresa says, one moment she thought she was really courageous and strong, and then the next minute she wasn't. One minute she could handle all these uh, negative uh, words that people were casting at her. You know, she was being very much persecuted. And then the next minute she felt like, geez, you know, it was like water rolling over uh, the oil and, you know, just going on. So it, it's a, it definitely challenge and one that we have to be very uh, cautious of because if we get proud, we'll be laid low. Yeah, so a, a great caution for our listeners, and of course, St. Teresa tells us the best defense we have against that is prayer, and in that uh, vein, I'm going to ask uh, Francis, would you lead us in the Our Father in a reflective way so that we can deepen our appreciation for that prayer again this evening? And as Teresa says, we'll start in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Amen. Thank you, listeners. God bless.